What's up, coaches? You're tuned in to keep your pads down. And hey, if you're a D-line coach or a fan of D-line play, then this is the podcast for you. So whether you're a first-time listener today or you never miss an episode, thank you for checking us out today on this episode number 78. Now, before we jump in to today's guest, I'll, uh, I'll share this, a little bit of life update for you. Uh, well, boys, it, uh, it, it got me. I tested positive for COVID a week ago yesterday, so this week was not a lot of fun at my house. Uh, my wife tested positive as well. Uh, we, we were both home all week sick uh, with our three kids who are now quarantined with us. Uh, you know, that's kind of the bummer when you, know, you get sick. The thing you need to do the most is rest. It would have been really nice to send the kids to school so we could just hang out at the house and recover. But they had to be quarantined with us. So I, I, I would say that, that I did a lot of taking care of the kids while I was sick. But actually, it, that, that kind of fell to my wife. Um, I did. I, I was a little more sick than she was. But anyway, uh, I had, did have to miss practice and, and school this, this week. And and, and had to watch our game Friday night online, which was really weird and stressful. But we're feeling better and, and pretty close to being back to normal. So I, I can go back to work this Thursday. My wife got to go back to work this weekend. And, and fortunately, we're on a bye this week, so I won't have to miss another game and can get back to practice later on uh, this week. Okay, now let's talk about today's episode. Today, we're covering two topics near and dear to every heart of every D-line coach. Today, we're talking interior D-line play and brisket. With our guest, Tomball High School defensive line coach, Scott Reed. Now, if you're a quarterback's coach and looking for the RPO slash wine and cheese podcast episode, you are in the wrong place. But if you're here for base blocks and barbecue, then today's episode is for you. Now, coach Reed grew up in DeSoto, Texas and attended Stephen F. Austin University there in Nacogdoches, where he was a thrower on the track team. He began his coaching career in Houston at Jersey Village, home of the people's champ Paul Wall where he coached from 2007 to 2011 before making the move over to Tomball, where he currently coaches the D-line for the Cougars. All right, so with all that being said, let's get to Coach Reed and our discussion about D-line play and barbecue. Come for the football and stay for the brisket here on episode number 78 of KYPD. Talking with Tomball High School defensive line coach Scott Reed on the podcast today. Coach, thanks for being such a fan of the show and for joining us today. Nah, no problem, man. It's been a been an interesting ride these last few months. Yeah, absolutely, Coach. I mean, I, I think that's putting it lightly for sure. And and you know, so here's what we're doing now. We're giving all these football coaches a great big gift, and we're we're, we're talking today about two of the maybe more sacred topics near and dear to the hearts of D-line coaches, and that is D-line play, of course, but also barbecue. And so it's going to be a really unique episode, a fun episode for those guys who are, who are tuning in today. Uh, and, and now before we get to all that, go ahead and fill us in on your, on your background and you know, uh, your journey through the, through the game of football and how you got to Tomball. Well, uh, we'll start off where I grew up, my hometown in DeSoto, Texas. Um, I'm a 2001 graduate. I uh, started playing football, though, in seventh grade at a uh, private school called Trinity Christian Cedar Hill. And um, at the time, I was at a private school mostly because the school I was going to go to wasn't as good uh, rating system-wise. And uh, so my parents felt the need to 
go private and as well at a hard time in our lives. My dad was laid off. And uh, so we're paying money to go to private school. And so I'm the, you know, poor kid at a private school and, um, you know, getting all the hand-me-downs that, you know, private school life has. And it was great. Uh, my first year there was really good. And then in uh, seventh and in eighth grade, we had a change of coaching staff, which there seems to be a lot of turnover in private school unless you're super good. And uh, so a guy by the name of Mike Barber, uh, you might remember from the Houston Oilers. Yeah. Uh, he, he came in and uh, a great man uh, led us uh, all as uh, kids and, um, and really groomed us to be successful and really taught us the hard nose packs of football. I mean, we started watching film really avidly, drawing plays up, learning the X's and O's of the game. So he really got me interested uh, in coaching. And then I transferred to DeSoto my sophomore year to finish out uh, football. And Coach Ben Dial was there, um, in my opinion, a legend in the coaching realm. Uh, some people have other opinions on that, but you know, uh, Coach Dial was a great Christian man and a big influence on our lives. He led our SCA on the team. And uh, I got to play with some really good dudes at DeSoto. Uh, Marcus Tubbs, who played for the Seattle Seahawks and a UT uh, defensive line guy. Um, he was actually a tight end in high school, and I had to go up against his big butt when I was in uh, on playing defensive end at the time uh, on the JV. So uh, every day during uh, scrimmages and, um, you know, when you have scout team, and so you got to go on there and do your best to give them the best look they can to be successful on the varsity. Um, and uh, finished out my playing career playing offensive line because I wasn't fast enough to play D-line at DeSoto. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, and those dudes can play now, and we had some great coaches on staff. Coach Brown was a, a Army veteran, and so we always uh, adhered to his principles on life and togetherness, and he did a good job uh, with that. We always had a real come-together uh, thing right before we walked into the locker room. I know our fans liked it. And uh, I really enjoyed that. So um, I didn't move on to play college ball. Uh, I moved on to do track and field. And um, went to Stephen F. Austin and walked on for three years and earned a scholarship. And that's something I really wanted to do was to prove to myself, not only to myself, that I was a good enough athlete to earn a scholarship to college uh, for something uh, that I was felt like I was pretty good at. I started track at the age of nine. But um, all my coaches have been really good dudes. Uh, one of my coaches actually coaches down at Morton Ranch now, and uh, we've been in constant contact over the years. He's like a best friend to me now. <laughs> it's hard to not call him coach anymore. He said, you can call me Ron. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, but he's a, he's a big influence on my life as well. Great family man, and uh, he's got his head down, very humble. Um, I've just been really blessed to be around really humble coaches and uh, who teach you life and teach you the game. And uh, the reason I got into coaching um, after SFA, where uh, I graduated SFA, majored in mathematics, and uh, teach engineering now at Tomball. Um, but uh, what got me into coaching really was my dad. Uh, um, my dad's big influence on my life and kind of taught me to listen to my coaches because he grew up in Kilgore without a dad. His dad died when he was a kid, and uh, his coaches were a big influence on his life. So every day I had an issue with football, issue with track, basketball. It didn't matter. He, he would always refer to the coach. Are you doing what they tell you to do? You know, are you, uh, you know, adhering to the rules of the team? And he always put 
You always made sure I put the team first over the way I felt about things. And if I wanted to change things, I needed to change it and listen to the coach and do what they tell me to do. So um, he was a big influence on my life to be a coach. The other influence was he was an accountant. My mom was an accountant. And uh, he pushed forth so heavily in my life that I just I didn't want to be an office guy. I wanted to be around kids and make an influence like they had on me and, um, uh, and be a, a good influence on individuals on the kids and help them lead better lives and move on. And really, I want to change kids' generational issues and really try to help them to move on and, and uh, improve their family status. So uh, with that being said, um, I started my football coaching career at Jersey Village High School in the Houston area in Cypher ISD. Uh, Coach David Snookhouse was, um, I'm very grateful to him to help me get started and uh, really tough. I had a really good freshman coach. I started out coaching freshman defense under a linebacker position at the time under uh, Jason Holman, who's down at Tatum now, coaching high school football. He's a great guy, very scientific. Um, that's the way my mind kind of works and really detail-oriented. And um, and I was under him for a couple years, and then um, he moved on, and then we hired a uh, defensive coordinator named B.J. McNutt, who was a big-time D lineman. I had seen play in high school or seen play in college at McNeese. When he would play, they'd come down and play us to play, and I was just always amazed at how well their D-line played, and he was one of those guys. So um, he became my mentor for D-line, and I learned a lot, and he referred me to some uh, videos and coaches I needed to talk to. Uh, one main one that I am heavily influenced by is Ed Ogeron and Pete Jenkins. Pete Jenkins was the first one that I really came into contact with and got to work um, or got to go visit a couple of camps down in Thibodeau, Louisiana at Nichols State. And uh, that really influenced my style of coaching. And then moving forward, um, I moved up from freshman to, J- to varsity and- at Jersey Village. And then from there, I moved on to Tomball, where I'm at now. So I've been coaching a total of 13 years. I spent five years at Jersey Village, and I'm starting my eighth year here at Tomball High School. In terms of being successful, you know, I would just say I'm successful with relationships with kids. Uh, you know, not not a we went you know in high school we we went to the playoffs about every year at DeSoto. Uh, we had dudes and uh, it was always a lot of fun. And I want those kids in high school to be able to experience that uh, at some point in time because going to the playoffs is you know just a dream come true for all high schools in the state of Texas. And then uh, getting to play a couple rounds, two three rounds deep, um, is a whole lot of fun and really get your name out there and. And um, that's what I want for our kids at Tomball to be able to start developing a legacy there. Absolutely. I want to go back to, to something you mentioned. Uh, anyone who's listening to this podcast has heard the name Pete Jenkins uh, thrown around a lot, uh, sort of the godfather of defensive line play. Uh, I've heard about his camps there in Thibodeau, but uh, tell us a little bit more about those and what goes on there. Um, you know, unless you've been sworn to secrecy, uh, you know, from leaving there. But just talk about those because I've always heard they're a great time and, and very beneficial for those who attend. So talk talk to us about those. So uh, I was referred to there uh, by uh, Coach McNutt, and um, and he's uh, he was a you know, like I said, he's my mentor. And he said you need to go to these. You'll learn a lot, and you'll get to network around a lot of good dudes who coach in Louisiana. And um, and I've always been amazed with the athletes that Louisiana produces. Um, per capita, you know, the state of Texas is so big, but Louisiana, they got some dudes out there that can play some ball and some really good coaches who don't get paid enough. I'll just tell you that right now. And, uh, but 
Um, so you go to the camp, and it is not a typical camp you would go to as a D-line, D-line or O-line uh, guy. Um, it is what we, what I would call a work camp. You're going to go there, and for an entire week, you're going to go to about three practices a day. You're going to work drills, 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 over and over at different uh, positions. And, I mean, you, at the end of the day, there's no you have almost no energy either as a coach or even as a kid to horse around when you go back to your dorm. And uh, all the kids there, they love it. They have a good time. At the end of the day, they get to know some people from both states. Uh, met lots of kids from Texas that go, lots of kids from Louisiana. And, um, and the, cool, the cool thing about it is, really, is after all the practices are over in the evening, all the coaches come together and they sit around, you know, kind of like campfire talk. And then, you know, a couple of them, you'll get up and go to another room at Nichols and you get on the whiteboard and you just start talking ball. Um, I got to meet um, a center. Uh, man, he's, uh, he now coaches. Uh, he played professional ball for the Jets. He was a center. Uh, Kevin Mawai. Yeah. And uh, I got to meet him there and, uh, and discuss, you know, O-line, D-line play and how he learned through lots of just learning through playing the game, little details, and he even shared with me a, a really cool drill um, for working pass rush lanes for offensive linemen and really defensive linemen, but um, it was more for offensive line play because he's an offensive line guy. But I got to meet, you know, some people. He was my idol growing up, you know, because I was a center in high school and he was a center in the NFL. And I was like, I know this. I know who you are. You're amazing. And yeah. he's just a down-to-earth guy, you know, he's just a – regular Joe who's willing to help kids out. And so he was always there to facilitate things. And, um, and then Pete Jenkins would let us sit in on his meetings and just learn, just sit there and learn why the reasons why he does coaches things the way he does and why it's so successful at all levels. And, um, and why those D line kids that come out of Louisiana are so good yeah. in my opinion. And I'm not saying anything about the state of Texas coaches. There's great ones out there. I've listened to many of them over the years in clinics. And learned a lot. So, uh, but Pete Jenkins was really my guy. And so, anytime I hear him or see him on uh, Coach Tube or anything on the internet, YouTube, I am watching, listening, and taking notes. Yeah, I think a lot of us, um, you know, I, I, sort of the same story for me. Uh, kind of cut my teeth on those old grainy Pete Jenkins videos uh, from when he was at LSU back in you know back in the day. And and all those guys are going through those drills and their little and their shimmels and their short shorts and. Um, and it's the same type stuff, you know, and then, and then it, it, you know, it's just the, uh, you know, goes through all their, all their progression on the, on the, on the sled, on the low boy sled and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and that's stuff that, um, you know, you can kind of write that off sometimes as old school or it's, it's, you know, it doesn't look as sexy when you, when you watch it, but that's the, that's, that's the foundation of, of, of solid defensive line play right there. Oh, man, absolutely. And, you know, I'll say, you know, to Pete Jenkins credit. He's always learning too. Um, you know, one of the things I remember going to one of the camps and, and he, he wasn't a long arm guy, you know, your long arm stab or, you know, pass rush type of stuff, but he was like, you know, it works. And so we're going to, here's how you do it. And I mean, he was fully bought into the principle of that long arm and uh, because he knows it works. And so it's one of those things, like, even though he's a, a master at his craft, he's still learning. Yeah. And so that really lets us know as young coaching pups that, you can still learn even when you're 50, 60, 70 years old and still doing this thing because um, there's always something new out there that people have figured out that does work. And, and, uh, and Pete, he, he exemplifies that in all his stuff he does. 
Well, Coach, a lot of reason for excitement for you guys at Tomball and really uh, every program on, on the 5A and 6A level across the state of Texas. You guys finally get ready to kick off your season uh, here in about 10 days. Uh, so what have the last couple of months been like for you guys, you know, watching, you know, half of the state play or you guys wait and wonder, you know, will you get a full season in, what it's going to look like? What's it been like these last couple of months? Well, these last couple of months, we've been really uh, communicating with our kids uh, through any means necessary, lots of group group chats and lots of Zooms, and uh, we spent a lot of time in the spring uh, hosting kind of like a virtual spring almost. Uh, it was really good. The kids were bought in, and um, and we had some really good coaches on staff who developed really good relationships, and so we took that and ran with it, and then we had stacked for about the first half of summer before we had to shut it down, and um, and so we... You know, expected our kids to keep working out, and uh, and so our kids would send us videos of them working out and working on drills that we did during the year, and uh, how you know and ways to help them through videos. So we've been doing a pretty good job of being on top of that as a coaching staff and uh, make sure our kids are getting things done. And then you know we we went over the top with the PPE stuff when we came back to workouts about three weeks ago, and uh, we're able to um, have you know, literally zero cases uh, all the way through the summer uh, into the beginning of school here. And um, and our kids have done a good job buying in and getting in shape and, and being there. And, you know, we had a, a really good attendance turnout for all those weeks before. And uh, so I think we're going to go into this first week here of scrimmage tomorrow uh, versus Crosby. Um, pretty well, pretty well laid out and uh, fine-tuning some things tomorrow and then getting ready for our first game next week. So as you guys get ready to open up your season, uh, as you mentioned next week, you know what's been the major point of emphasis for your guys up front, your defensive line guys? Uh, major point of emphasis is really just refining. We have a lot of returners uh, coming back to the program uh, from last year. Um, we are basically our whole line except one kid returning uh, on the D line, and so we have a lot of experience. And so now we can really start getting into the details of the game of football at D-line and uh, setting people up uh, to make a good pass rush or understanding the game about formations and recognition and really getting down to the details of uh, improving things like using our hands better, getting off blocks better. Um, I work with a with a guy who's really good with his hands and teaching that to the kids. And, um, and we've been really focusing on our, our ball get-offs and uh, maintaining our gap responsibilities and really just getting off blocks and pursuing in the right pursuit path. Talk about some of those ways that you're actually, you know, that, that you're instilling those skills in your guys. Like, what, what are some of your favorite drills that you're, that you're using to teach those skills? Well, you know, at being LSU and Pete Jenkins is uh, one of my mentors. Um, we actually have a video that uh, I've created uh, that we posted on Huddle that our kids can watch. And, um, you know, just one of them was really good. It was a really good breakdown of all the drills that, you know, we teach and it kind of validates, you know, our teachings to those kids because LSU obviously just won a national championship yeah. with a very dominating D-line play. And, uh, and so we show them those drills. We like to, you know, working on how do we take on a base block? How long do we stay engaged? You know, um, working on a three-man rotation where, We'll take on a base block. We'll peak our gap, put our chin on our shoulder. Um, I got that from another guy. Uh, it was on Twitter, and I really like the verbiage. Yes. And yeah. um, and so we'll put our chin on our shoulder. We'll peak our gap. 
and just really working on pressing up the field. That's really been a big major issue this year is instead of playing at the line of scrimmage, pressing that line of scrimmage back to that heel line so that we can force it, decrease the distance between ourselves and the runner so he doesn't have a full head of steam when he's hitting our interior guest. Um, I coach the interior linemen. We run a four down. And uh, I coach the D, D tackles and the nose guards. And uh, so we work uh, a lot of drills, working double teams, uh, attacking one man. We always talk about if we're getting double teams, our hands are still on our one man. The one man that's blocking us just base blocking us. So how would we get off the base block in the same manner we get through this double team? We'll squat, we'll pull the shoulder down, we'll rip through and get square, and, uh, and really continue to work our feet up the field. Um, in my drills, I've hammered feet, 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 never stop your feet, slow feet, don't eat, you know, those kind of verbiages and philosophies there, and, um, and really keeping our arms extended uh, every day. So we do everyday drills, uh, everyday one-on-one, just working hands, hands and steps. So we like to make contact going forward and then take our first step with our foot that's back. And um, I got that idea from Jenkins. He said, you know, his kids were taking a step before they would actually shoot their hands and their pads were going high. And so what, what I like to teach is I like to push with both feet. And then when you get your read, you're going to take your first step with your man foot. And that allows us to play the reach block better and continue to work at a 45 degree angle and press that reach block vertically uh, while he's pushing us which turns into a 45-degree angle, so I'm kind of getting into some physics here. Um, when he's going lateral on a reach block, we're trying to really continue to push, get up the field to that heel line to decrease the space between us and the runner and uh, be able to give us a good pursuit angle when we get off the block and to be able to come back underneath if we need to to be able to play two gaps when we're really a one-gap team. So talk to me. So talk to me more about that, about your about your step and and how you're coaching that up, because that's something I've seen other guys do, and I've been curious about how you know, how that works and how you teach that. So how are you repping that as far as when you're doing it, like in, in, in you know get off drills or whatever, where you know those guys are punching first and they're kind of letting their feet follow. Is that is that kind of what you're talking about? And that first step ends up being uh, they're going to make an in-flight adjustment depending on what that offensive line is doing. Is that correct? Yeah, it's kind of like, I call it an attack read step. So we're going to attack the man. We want to engage him before he gets a second foot in the ground. And so um, as he's getting his first foot, we want to get two feet in the ground as fast as possible up the field. So uh, what we like to do, we do stance and start. What we'll do will be in our stance, and Coach uh, Chinasa will be the ball, and I'll be back kind of watching people to the other side that he's not looking at. And we're clapping our hands out front from the ground clapping our hands so that we can have close hands, tight hands every time. Uh, we'll go to the goalpost, which doesn't have a pad on it, and we'll work just pushing from both feet and rolling our hips in, and our hands are always in a position above our eyes yeah. for that attack angle that we need. And, um, I mean, I've heard that a lot of coaches say, hands got to be above the eyes, but I'm real big on getting that attack mode going, pushing out. I like to have two feet in the ground. Pete Jenkins says, how are you going to push a car? You push a car with one foot, you push a car with two feet. And that's what we're trying to do. These offensive linemen are typically bigger than we are, so we need to be able to have good leverage and two feet in the ground on a base block before anything else happens. On a reach block, what we'll do is, uh, again, we're going to put our uh, inside hand on uh, near breastplate, and then our outside hand is just our gap hand. Yeah. So in reality, when we get a base block, we're really not using our gap hand on the shoulder as much as we are our man hand 
because our man hand is going to keep them square, and our gas hand is going to keep them from climbing in front of us so we're not down the middle. We never want to be down the middle of the defensive lineman. You're just blocking yourself, making it easy for the offensive man. So our gas hand really keeps them inside and plays that third of a man. I say a third because I like to be on that third on the outside. If I say half a man, our kids typically end up more down the middle. So I like to say that third, outside third of a man is what we play. And so we'll shoot our hands. And then when we make contact, say, uh, on a base block, then I can start pressing and leading with my right foot and really trying to make sure I have an anchor foot and my right foot is going to keep pushing and leading the way on a base block, kind of squeezing that inside gap down with that offensive man's body before I get off the block. Okay. Well, uh, l- let's talk about this. You said you were the, uh, you're coaching up the interior lineman there. Um, Talk about those guys and just how you're playing them. Are you playing them in a G? You're playing them in a in a, in a two I? Are you playing them uh, in in a, in a zero shade? Are y'all playing threes? Okay. Do you ever play those guys in twos? How do you play those guys? So um, our front is uh, basic over front, and so we play a three technique where we're inside shoulder on outside shoulder. That gives us the ability to play the reach block really well. We play against some really good offensive line teams that are very athletic. So we have to make sure um, that we can take care of the wide zone, which is becoming really popular, or the stretch play, as well as... I was going to say, that's uh, what y'all's it, offense is known for, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it really is. Coach yeah. Duty does a good job. Yeah, yeah. And, and so what we like to do is uh, our three techniques on lineup in uh, kind of a wider three, not really half a man. We're going to be shoulder, inside shoulder on shoulder, or our down hand is going to be on his outside foot. And that really gives us some really good leverage. Uh, to play against uh, the opposing guard. And then our nose, he's not a shade, he's not a T, he's not a 2I. Our nose is going to line up in the gap, and then he's going to play off the guard's movement. Okay. We like that position um, uh, because it gives us really good leverage on uh, the guard when we get double teamed. It gives us good leverage on when they run reach block away from the nose towards the uh, towards our three technique. Um, it gives us good leverage on a reach block by the center. So we're in a really good position right there in between uh, those two guys. Yes, it gives them a good angle on double team, but, you know, at the end of the day, the nose guard's going to get doubled a lot on lots of inside zone type schemes. And um, and so it gives him good leverage to be able to, if I can attack that guard hard and fast, it really helps on the double team to be able to split that and get some penetration and uh, and keep those guys occupied and off our Mike linebacker. Um, so the nose plays that. We do cross face on, uh, different, on different fronts. We don't, but on, uh, on our basic front, we cross face with the nose. And um, I would say he's probably a little bit, just a tad a bit uh, hesitant um, on his get off. But uh, at the end of the day, if we're playing a team that's not known for pulling kids, um, it goes back to our foundation of get off the ball, attack your man, and uh, get up the field to the heel line and be able to play down the line. Now, is that nose, is he playing with his uh, his man hand down, meaning is he going to have his hand that's closest to the guard down? So I guess it would be his out, outside hand down, outside foot back. Right, right. And so everybody across the board, we're uh, man hand down, man foot back, our feet are lined up, shoulder width. And I always tell them the pigeon toe as they get in their stance because we got kids, you know, that are good hip flexibility. And so as they get in their stance, it actually straightens their feet up. And we go toe to end step, shoulder width apart, so that we can have good feet. Yeah. And uh, that allows us to really get off the ball. And that toe to end step allows us to have a good push. 
and then we take our man foot step after we make contact or we have diagnosed where the play is going at, from our attack path. Well, talk about, you talked about how you, you see a lot of wide zone stuff and uh, over there where you, where you are uh, in Tomball. Talk about some other schemes that you guys see on a week-to-week basis that you have to be ready for up front. Uh, well, with the recent change in district, um, we're going to see uh, some varying offensive fronts and schemes. Um, for the most part, I think we, we either see teams that like to run power, counter. Um, they love to pull the guards, or they'll run a form of what we call dart or uh, tackle, uh, tackle trap or tackle power, so they'll pull the tackle. And um, we see a lot of sniffer uh, in those schemes. And, um, and so three wide, they'll do three by one. You got your trips formations and your doubles. So we play a lot of teams that like to spread us out uh, for the most part. Um, every once in a while, we'll get a team that decides to change their offense to the uh, flex bone or something like that. So yeah. uh, we'll change some things up with that. Uh, but, you know, without giving too much away. <laughs> yeah, but um, you know, at the uh, end of the day, we're playing a lot of teams who are probably going to have some really well-built offensive lines. Um, one of the better ones last year was Magnolia; they had a really good offensive line and um, uh, lots of really good athletes at the O line as well as big kids. So uh, they were downhill team and really tried to hit you hard in the mouth, um, pulling, uh, running power. And uh, College Station was a big-time team we used to play, running power to the cows come home. And uh, power is power, <laughs> from what I hear from them. Um, but, yeah, we'll get, you know, doubles, trips, and then we'll get uh, twins, uh, two-back sniffer. Uh, we'll get pistols sometimes from the running back, uh, depending on the offensive scheme. Um, but all in all, that's, that's literally what we see. So we try to get into the heel line as much as possible. Uh, to try to decrease the angles of the runner and um, and then play down the line uh, with our ends uh, and or depending on what their responsibility is. So I got to imagine, going back to your nose, you know, you say you, t- you, you guys are going to see a lot of power and you have in the past. I got to imagine playing your nose in that A-gap, uh, if they're running power weak, that's going to make it a little more difficult um, for that guard to get a really solid down block on that nose because he is already in that gap. So it kind of takes away a lot of that 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 space for him to really tee off on that nose's hip, you know, and get a uh, and get some movement there where they're trying to run the ball. Uh, is that kind of one of the one of the things that you guys like about it? I mean, do you see that that does that nose guard disrupt a lot of powers to the weak side just because of his alignment? Well, you know, to be honest, we really don't see power to the weak side. Really? And that's what's really, really, really? interesting. We've huh. played a lot of teams. Um, they'll run power to the strong side, and uh, uh, they'll double-team the three technique and then use a sniffer uh, to J-block um, the defensive end to try to get underneath and dig him out. Huh. And so uh, we really like and Like I said, we haven't seen power to the weak side a lot. And what we like about it is, um, with our three technique playing where he's at, uh, he'll cross face too. So our three technique will also cross face if his guard pulls. So um, that's a common rule for our interior D lineman. If your guard pulls, you're crossing face. And uh, and playing as far away as he is, that center's got a long ways to go. Yeah. And we really get a two way go. I coach my guys to cross face, but we always we also talk about if that center is what I call high, means he's behind us. We'll just heel line it right there yeah. and just go. Yeah. There's no point in backtracking. Now we're in the linebacker's way. Right. So I always tell them, you know, you take the best pass to the ball, 
at the end of the day when your guard pulls. Because yeah. if that center knows you're going to try to cross face, he's going to go high. Well, just heel line it now, and now you're even better <laughs> right. as a, as a, a D lineman. So um, we don't get power to the weak side, like I said. If we do, they'll actually – it won't be real guard power. It'll be tackle power. So they'll pull the tackle around huh. uh, instead. And so they'll line the sniffer opposite our uh, three technique. Every once in a while, they'll motion them in. And uh, we won't have time to switch our line over or bump our line over, um, which we do sometimes, uh, depending on our defensive calls. And um, or with or what we know they do. I say I work for a really good defensive coordinator who uh, breaks it down uh, just as good or even better than the previous coordinator I had uh, when I was at Jersey Village. And uh, and he does a phenomenal job finding tendencies and understanding formations. And our kids know that uh, going into the game. And uh, they recognize it, you know, from day one, the sniffer's alignment. If it's a little off here, a little off there, we know what you're doing. If you're going to give it away, fine. And, you know, um, our guys know what's going to happen. They have a game plan, and uh, they're going to fly after it. Um, so with our nose, it's real, if they want to run power to his side, uh, he's just getting a base block right there. And like you said, it's a yeah. hard angle. So he can press that, black, that, press that back, and if that guard's coming around, he may run into him. Yeah, that's uh, what I was thinking. Yeah. Get off. yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what, kind of what I figured, and that, but but yeah, that was it. That's interesting. I would have thought that you guys would see, um, especially with that with your with your your three tech playing so loose uh, that that offenses want to attack your 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 side with with your nose. And I guess you're playing a five over there with your with your other end. Yes, yeah, yeah. it's like two fives and yeah. a three, and then an a gap nose. So when you look back uh, on on last season and really the last few seasons with your with your guys, uh, what was an area that of D line play that you guys really excelled at. We've we've gone through a lot of uh, D linemen over the last few years. We've uh, gotten a lot of graduates. Um, when you know, so we're kind of building the program from uh, the start uh, when the guys got there. And so we took guys who have played other positions and said, "You need to play D line. You're going to really help us." And they bought in. So the things we've excelled at is uh, understanding our game plan um, and then really using our hands to the best we can do. Uh, over the course of the season, um, you know, I wouldn't say you know we've gotten better at the pass rush uh, over the course of time, and with the kids we have who have been with us for the last three or four years, um, I think our pass rush has improved a lot, and a lot of it's a, a testament to uh, my my offensive line coach I work with um, and his understanding of the game because he played in college and he played in the NFL, and so he really knows the fine principles of a really good pass rush. And, and I would say, you know, that was something that was kind of my downfall. Uh, something I've always tried to get better at is pass rush. And he's really broken it down for me as a coach to help me improve. Um, but the things we excel at, I think we take on double teams really well. Um, we've uh, played kids with, who we had a kid finish last season, uh, who, who embraced toughness for real. Uh, he basically only had like five working fingers between both hands, uh, one working shoulder. And uh, and really embraced that art of being tough. And he was a former linebacker slash running back kid who was really trying to find his place. And he played D end his junior year, and then moved down to three technique and really excelled at three technique this past year. I think if you're an interior D line coach and you can say that you've done you've excelled at, at or have done a good job of taking on double teams, then then you're doing your job because that's a tough thing. Unless your guy is just bigger and more powerful than than everybody he's going up against, that's a really tough skill to 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 be good at. Uh, just and that's just in my opinion of of you know 
coaching interior D lineman for a long time and uh, not always having the biggest guys and just trying, you know, every way that you can teach to teach it and, and relate yeah. and, and relay it to those guys. That's a really tough thing to be good at uh, a lot of times. So that's a, that's a, that's something to be proud of for sure. So looking ahead of this season, where do you see your guys maybe needing to improve the most or some things that you're going to have to address, you know, as you move forward in your, in your practices uh, this season? Uh, well, I would put it on me as a coach uh, to make sure um, that I'm being consistent in uh, attention to the details. Uh, we have a motto on, on our culture called fast, hard, finish together. And our, our fast uh, motto talks about, you know, we want to be force focused. That's part of our fast motto. That's one of our little tenets of fast is force focused. We're always focused in fast learning, fast everything. Um, A to B, trying to get there, uh, getting to our practices on time, getting to our positions on time, getting to our meetings on time, um, and communicating on time. And that's really a big one uh, that we've gotten uh, better at. And so as the season goes on, I, I would say that uh, we need to, to continue to improve our get off uh, and really attacking our keys and getting our eyes uh, in our gap. Um, some of our guys still like to step with their first foot up. And they always find out that they're going to get, you know, run over because they're out leveraged footwork-wise. And, um, and taking that really good six-inch step and uh, that six-inch power step after you've made contact or diagnosed where the play goes so I can work the reach block better. And uh, because that wide, wide zone or that outside stretch scheme um, can really get us if we're not taking good steps to maintain our perspective, to maintain our, um, our gap alignment on our man. So um, that, that's one thing I think going forward that you know, I need to make sure I focus on my guys, not get complacent, and, uh, and always go back to the fundamentals that we have is that our guys need to focus. Yeah, football is important and understanding the game of football, um, but if you only understand the game of football but, have, but lacking fundamentals, uh, you're not going to be successful on the field. So uh, making sure that we stick with our fundamentals as we go forward and improving on those as we uh, – progress throughout the season and make sure we stick to those, uh, stick to our guns that we know. And our kids have done a good job um, on the side, helping each other out, like anybody that moves in, any newbies uh, to the program, getting them uh, bought into our system and taking them aside and saying, this is how we do it. Um, and if you do that, you'll be successful. And so some of our new kids who have, you know, not really used their hands a lot before on them, you know, not that they, their pastors didn't preach it, but, you know, they get to us and they realize if I use my hands and get locked out, man, I have more control over that offensive lineman. Yeah. So making sure we continue to do that as we go forward. And our strength coach does a good job of making sure that we stay strong as the season goes on. So, um, or get stronger. We've seen plenty of kids get stronger as the season goes on, uh, according to their maxes over the years. Um, so that's what I would say we need to continue to focus on as coaches. And then our kids will, will buy into it because we're buying into it. And so that's what I would like to say is, as coaches, we stick to our fundamentals and keep rehashing those and making sure we're getting down to the details until we're as close to perfect as we can be with all of our fundamental drills and, uh, and those experiences. Yeah, I think, and, and again, I don't have a whole lot of experience coaching a ton of other positions on the field, but I think defensive line is one where uh, you have to just, you have to, um, you have to just work the fundamentals all the time. I mean, it's one of those things that as soon as you stop Working some of those things, whether it be hand placement, punch, you know, hip explosion, um, you know, 
block destruction, all those things. If you start, if you start getting away from those things, uh, then it really is going to show up and, and uh, affect how your kids play. Yeah, um, and I'll say one thing we do uh, that we can improve on um, as, a, as a defensive line is understanding our stunt sets. Yeah. We do uh, stunt quite a bit to put our guys in a position of success and to keep the offensive line off balance and um, is, you know, improving our, our angles of our step and improving where our eyes are. Our kids like to go back to the man they're lined up on when you're crossing pace instead of, you know, really engaging the man they're trying to read, the hip of the tackle or the hip of the center um, and stuff like that, and really engaging, putting our hands where they're supposed to go when I'm trying to get uh, through my gaps and get vertical uh, through our gaps on our stunt scheme. So, um, making sure of that, make sure our timing uh, on our stunts can get better, understanding the little details that if I don't, on an X game, for instance, on the outside, if I don't engage or force the offensive lineman to keep his eyes on me, then I'm setting up the defensive end for failure uh, when I'm trying to loop outside. So keeping our eyes in the right spot um, is really a big one. We tell our kids all the time, if you look your son off, then you're looking to get our defensive end in a bad position. We're not trying to say he's the one going to make the play, but you're setting up the offensive line for success when he's watching you and you look out for your defensive end instead of really try to engage your guy and then let that end slip by while you work back outside. Yeah, yeah. Well, Coach, great stuff. And and after listening to you talk, you know, defensive line players, no doubt uh, you know what you're talking about. And also, uh, you know your way around a smoker as well, and that's what we're gonna we're gonna kind of kind of segue into now, and just talk about uh, the fine art of barbecuing. Okay, now uh, let's uh, let's let's prime the pump here a little bit, and first of all, just talk about how how did you know? Because I would think, well, this is a, a true story. When we when I when we talked kind of in our, our pre-interview conversation the other day, tell me what you had going on when we were talking. I had just uh, bought a brisket. Uh, my wife had an idea. She was going to make some enchiladas, and she was going to make a white meat enchilada and a brown meat enchilada. And uh, so she was going to make a uh, green chili, green green sauce chicken enchilada. And she says, "And what do you want for a brown meat enchilada? You want to use taco meat?" And I just said, "Why don't we use you know make a brisket? Uh, and you know you get brisket tacos, but let's make a brisket enchilada." and uh, put a red sauce with it with a little bit of a barbecue twist to it. And she was like, absolutely. So um, <laughs> I headed off to the store that day to get a few other things, and I happened to stop by the brisket uh, area at our local HEB and uh, found a brisket I liked um, when I went in there. Um, I would say, first and foremost, choosing a brisket um, is one of the things that uh, you got to do. you got to practice that and, uh, and do your research on what you feel is important uh, as a smoker, to be able to find a brisket. So I took that brisket, took it home the night before. I uh, seasoned it with um, a very, what I consider a basic Texas-style seasoning and, um, and put it on the smoker while we were talking. Uh, it was, I had to uh, check the temperature and uh, load some coals and some uh, mesquite wood into my firebox. Okay, so let's, let's back up for a second. Just tell us, how, <laughs> how did you... So that's 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 what you had going on Sunday when we were just talking uh, and, and kind of planning out our conversation. So, um, you know, and, and, and first of all, um, you know, I'm sure team dinners at your house got to be uh, got to be epic. If that's just what you are doing for your, your, your family just on a Sunday afternoon, then 
then I, I can't imagine what you know a defensive line dinner at your house might look like. But anyway, uh, how did you how did you kind of get into to to smoking meats? Like, how did that become a, a hobby of yours? Well, one thing is you grew up in the state of Texas. There are two things that are pretty staples in the state of Texas. You got tacos and you got barbecue. And so that, for me, was one of the things that, you know, I kind of grew up with. Uh, my dad being from East Texas, uh, one of his uh, high school buddies was a barbecuer. Um, he actually owned a place about a block away from my dad's house where he grew up. So every time we went into town, we stopped by, he showed me the pit. You know, he'd give us a little free sample of some of his brisket. That's just how it was. And um, so I've always been really an enthusiast when it comes to barbecue. And I'll, I'll preface that I'm not, I didn't become a big enthusiast until recently. Um, I've always enjoyed barbecue. I've enjoyed other people's barbecue. Um, but I was like, you know, I, uh, when COVID happened and I had to be home a lot, I was like, I need, a, need something to do because I'm not at school and, uh, you know, and I'm around my kids. So I'm going to pick up a craft, pick up a hobby. And uh, smoking brisket seemed to be the way to go for me. And I started out, I'll tell you a little side story. My, the only smoker I had on my porch at the time, I had two things. I had an electric master-built smoker that was only like 513 square feet. So you couldn't even fit a full pack of brisket in there. And I had a uh, 22-inch uh, Weber kettle grill. And that's really how I got started was smoking briskets on a Weber kettle grill. I'd offset, uh, smoke it. I'd use the snake method. I mean, uh, of coals and let it burn around. I put the wood chunks on top of the coals, so I'll get my smoke. I put the vent over the side where the brisket is, so the smoke and the heat would venture over. I put a brick so I could make sure the heat wasn't hurting that side of the brisket, so it would flow over. I mean, I, all kinds of different techniques I investigated, and I found that technique to be the best on my Weber kettle, and I could fit about an eight-pound brisket on there full. And uh, and then monitor it, monitor it, make sure I got the smoke, make sure the coals are staying hot enough, adjust, adjust. I mean, it was an all-day ordeal, and I come in, I'm smelling like smoke. Um, it's all in my clothes, and I had to buy, like, some extra powerful <laughs> uh, detergent just to wash those clothes just so that they would smell uh, regular at the end of the day. So it's not like, you know, some huge operation you got going on, Travis. Are you still, is that still what you're rocking with? Oh, no, 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 no. Okay, now, so tell us what you got now. <laughs> Uh, my wife hated me for this because at a point in time, I was uh, investigating buying an offset smoker grill. Um, uh, kind of wanted to put some money into it. So uh, just kind of bided my time, did my research. Um, I wanted to have something that I could uh, put on and then set it and forget it kind of idea because being a coach, don't have a ton of time outside of coaching. So I want to be able to put a brisket on early in the morning and come back and it'll be ready to wrap or even to go let it go all the way so there's many different methods we'll get into that uh here in a little bit but uh i bought a pellet smoker a really high-end like the high-end pellet smoker a rec tech uh 680 i bought it used on a facebook marketplace i was on there constantly my wife hated me for that and uh but at the end of the day i got a really good smoker um at a really good deal and um that's where I got that. And then I was looking for what I call, what lots of Texas barbecues call stick burners. I was looking for an offset smoker. And uh, so I bought the, the pellet grill, real big one that takes up, you know, a, a decent amount of our uh, patio space. And, uh, and then I found a, a cheap old Dynaglow wide body off, vertical offset smoker. Um, and I wanted the wide body because I know I can put a full brisket on each rack. So right as of right now, I could possibly smoke 
uh, five full briskets at a time if I really wanted to on my vertical offset. And it's cheap. Down it goes cheap. I got it for, I got it off the marketplace again. I got it for like half of what it would normally cost. And, um, you know, and it was like, it was only used like six times. And it was in like mint condition when I got it. So yeah, um, it's sitting on my porch. I bought a cover for it. I need to buy a cover for my rec tech. Um, and I like the rec tech. It's red. It's got bull horns as the handles. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's heavy duty. It weighs like 220 pounds. Um, which is not heavy according to other offsets you can buy that are thousands of pounds, 800 pounds. Um, but it does its job. So, uh, and that's what I have now. And she told me I wasn't allowed to buy any more. Smoking. <laughs> <laughs> um, the only thing I need now is a gas grill. So I can just do some quick grilling if I want to, there like some go. burgers and hot dogs exactly. and some chicken breast. Exactly. And, um, uh, and she's like, you're not getting that for a while. And I'm like, okay, fine. You got a pellet smoker. You can grill on that. And, yeah. blah, blah, blah. and I still yep. have my charcoal that I'll grill on from time to time to keep my skills up on that one. Yep. And I love my Weber. I've had that thing forever and it's still in really good condition. I keep it covered. And, um, and all I have to do is buy a new grill. I want new, uh, griddle, uh, insert for the top of everyone's truck because it rust out because being Houston is human all the time. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, see, I, I got a rec tech for, for Christmas. Uh, oh, heck yeah. Yeah. So that's, 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 uh, that's kind of how, and I it's kind of the same thing. Um, we started messing around with my wife and I did, um, you know, I, I guess at the beginning of, of, you know, January, January, beginning of the new year. And then of course, yeah, I think with a lot of people, you know, when COVID hits, you're like, well, what else are you going to do except sit around and, Hey, you want to, you want to smoke something today? Sure. We're, you know, we got time. We're just sitting here. And so yeah. we started experimenting stuff with stuff and, and, uh, yeah, did, you know, did brisket, did ribs, did pork butt, did, uh, stuffed chickens and, and things like that. Uh, but I want to go back to the brisket cause that's really what we're focusing on today. You already kind of walked us through or, or briefly touched on your process, but I know it's, you know, I was always intimidated by, by brisket, you know, like, first of all, how do you pick out the right one? And then. You know, it just seems yeah. like such a labor intensive process. And it is if you're using an old fashioned, I mean, if you're, you know, the, like you're, you're, you're throwing wood in there and you got to regulate the temperature, but with a pellet grill or pellet smoker, it's a little bit easier to regulate, but just talk about your process from first of all, picking out a brisket and then the whole from throwing, from, from prepping it to taking it off and, and slicing it. So, um, and I'll throw this out there. I became a member of a Texas barbecue uh, group on Facebook. And uh, if you're ever looking to get any ideas or ask any questions, I ask a lot of old timers who've been doing this for 30 plus years. Um, I ask questions on there. Um, I'm also a member of Rec Tech uh, barbecue uh, group on Facebook as well. So I ask them questions when it comes to pellet smoke and stuff. Um, but the biggest thing is when you're picking out a brisket that I found through all the research I did, YouTube and reading uh, meatchurch.com uh, articles, reading uh, barbecue forums all across the internet. And uh, one of the consistent things I always found was when you're picking out a brisket, um, find one that doesn't have as much of the hard, there's like hard fat. Like if you can knock on it, it sounds like a rock. Uh, you probably don't want that one that's full of all that. Now you're still gonna have to get it because when you buy a packer brisket that's not trimmed, you're gonna get some of that. Um, when you buy one, also, you want to make sure you buy one that's kind of bendable. Uh, <laughs> I saw a sign at an HEB one day that says, do not bend the brisket. It messes up the packaging, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and, and, and I was like, well, 
too bad. <laughs> uh, that's going to happen. So you kind of pick it up, and um, if it bends really well, you know you got some good fat uh, within the uh, muscle fibers, and uh, to be able to keep your brisket moist as uh, as you cook it. And so, I mean, you've got all the believers out there who believe in not trimming at all to the people that uh, they love a lean brisket. And so they'll trim as much fat off as possible. Um, but that's what I like to look for in a brisket. I like to have a good grain, a good bend, and not a ton of the hard fat because the hard fat doesn't render down. It just stays there, and it is gross when you're trying to eat it and, uh, and or cut it off at the end. It's easier to cut off in the beginning. So that's what I would recommend. Okay, so you pick, you, I've picked out my brisket. I've brought it home. Now what? All right, so um, before you even pick out a brisket, you need to first, set a date as to when you're going to cook it. Uh, that's real big because if you think, oh, I'm going to buy a brisket, but I'm not going to cook it for three weeks, well, you're going to have to throw it in the freezer. And if you're like us right now, we don't have a big old freezer to throw one in. So I stuffed I one in the freezer in our little side-by-side that we have, and it took up basically the whole bottom shelf, and I could barely close the door at the end of the day. So it was all bent up, <laughs> stuffed in my freezer. Uh, so make sure you set a date uh, to know when you're going to be able to smoke it because so I messed up on that one um when i got it but it's it's going to take a solid two solid three to anywhere from three to four days to uh to defrost in your refrigerator so if you're going to buy one you're going to want to smoke it uh put it in your refrigerator when you get home and then you're going to smoke it in about three to five days uh, i would say three to four days from the time you get it so i usually buy one on a monday or a tuesday and i'll smoke it on a friday or a saturday uh briskets tend to stay they come shrink wrap so they tend to stay pretty good in the refrigerator over the course of the week, in my opinion, some people may be like, that's not FDA, well, well, you know, health regulation. Um, but uh, I haven't looked any of those up, but uh, it's Man. still been red when I got it out of the package. Yeah, so, it's all good. Uh, yeah, so it's all good. And so when you got your date, date nailed down uh, the night before, um, there's many different philosophies on how long you want it to sit with the seasoning on it. Um, but you want, you're going to want to get it out the night before and let it sit overnight. Um, either covered or uncovered in your refrigerator. I do uncovered uh, in my refrigerator in a big pan on the bottom shelf and uh, to smoke the brisket, uh, to season the brisket uh, overnight. And then I'll get it out early the next morning or depending on the size of the brisket. So uh, let's say you, you go to buy a pack of brisket. You bought one. It's um, like a larger one. The largest one I've ever bought was like 21 pounds. And uh, but if you buy one that's about 14, 15 pounds, by the time you trim it up the way you want to trim it, the way I trim it, you're you're losing about three to four pounds of fat uh, off your brisket. And uh, and the other thing I learned uh, not too long ago was to make sure your brisket is aerodynamic. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so as you trim it, you want to trim it just enough to where you have enough aerodynamic, and you always want to leave. It varies anywhere from an eighth of an inch to a quarter of an inch of fat over your uh, your two ends of the brisket. You got the point and you got the flat. The yep. flat part is your lean part. So you want to make sure it's got a good layer of fat on top uh, so that that part can stay moist. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, in terms of seasoning, so we'll kind of get into that. Um, you get it out the night before. You take it out of the shrink wrap. Uh, use your knife to cut it down the middle and you split it up like you're performing surgery and you take it out, put it on a big pan or a big cutting board. Um, I suggest a pan because it's kind of, uh, it'll drip as it cools. So you kind of want to have something to kind of keep it off the counters. I try to keep a mess-free counter at the end of the day when I'm 
teasing my and trimming the brisket. So yeah, keeps the wife happy. Yeah, yeah. And so um, I I have my own mixture of uh, salt, pepper, and garlic uh, that I like to put together. Um, kind of an Aaron, kind of a Franklin's barbecue idea. Uh, he does a salt and pepper mixture. And uh, just listening to him, he does a 50-50. So I would say I'm probably about a 40-40-20 when it comes to salt, pepper, and garlic. Um, and in reality, I just look at it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I just go, huh, that's enough salt. Uh, that's enough pepper. Um, you always got to make sure, though, if it's too salty, it ends up tasting like bacon a little bit. Um, so uh, you always want to make sure when you pour your salt in, it, it's really dense and it clumps up, but your pepper is really light. So you want to make sure that as you put it in, you kind of give it a good uh, pat down, um, you know, tap it on the table, and that way the pepper kind of settles so you see how much you have. So if you're looking for that 40-40 or, you know, that visual of, all right, I have enough salt, now i got to offset that taste with pepper, and then I'm going to have that garlic on top, and then you just shake the whole bottle around to mix it all up really well. So when you look at it, it looks like one big uh, spike that you created. Okay. So we, we, we got it spiced up or we got it rubbed down. Uh, what's the next step? Well, um, in the spice process, you need to determine uh, your spice process will de- also determine how good of a bark you're going to have. Because everybody loves and they get that bark. It's got a good bark. You know, they always talk about it. Uh, you can chew on it. You can suck on it. Um, you know, it, it really makes uh, makes you feel real good when you made your brisket that you get a good solid bark. So. Um, uh, you also want to break it down your your pepper seasoning into do you want fine grind do you want coarse grind and how coarse do you want it? There's different measurements for that. Uh, there's like an 18 to 24 that I really like. It's kind of an in between, just a regular ground coarse ground from Fiesta uh, all the way down to a fine ground. So it's kind of a good in between. And you can either lay it on real thick, which will give you really good bark, or you can space it out depending on how spicy or how salty you want your a brisket at the end of the day. Now, that salt is important. That salt, just like we know, it helps us retain water. And so that salt will help uh, the brisket retain its moisture um, as it gets uh, cooking on your uh, smoker. And so you season it up, you put it in the refrigerator uh, overnight, and you get up the next morning. Um, the good rule of thumb is for every pound of brisket, you allow about an hour to an hour and a half of cook time. And, uh, and so when you get up in the early in the next morning, you make sure you get, uh, you put it on the counter. There's a, a rule of thumb. Some people like to follow. I don't follow it, uh, but they say, take your brisket out, put it on the counter, leave it on the counter for an hour, which I'm like, that makes me get up even earlier. But anyways, you put it on the counter and you can put it on your, on your smoker, especially a stick burner. You're going to have to get the heat up to where you want it, get your firebox really going and, um, and getting a good coal, coal bed in there. So you have to do is throw a couple of wood chunks on there as, as the day goes on. Um, and you're monitoring your temperature. Uh, so you get up the next morning, you unpack it, uh, you either let it sit or take it straight from the fridge into your smoker, which may increase your cook time, but I haven't seen much difference between leaving it out or, uh, in my experience, leaving it out or taking it straight from the refrigerator. So that's uh, either way you want to do that, that's fine as well. Okay, so are you letting yours go? Uh, well, first of all, uh, fat side up or down? Does it matter to you? Uh, I prefer fat side up, um, especially if my heat source is coming directly from the bottom. So, uh, or, or, or it's in an offset. I'm just a fat side up. The, the, the thought process, the theory on it is that the fat will drain into the yeah. meat 
Yeah. Uh, and kind of protect the top as well as if my heat source is from the bottom, I'm going to get that good bark on the non-fat side of your brisket. And, uh, and that's, that's really what ultimately what you're looking for. You want a good crunch on your brisket as well as the flavor and the moistness of your brisket when you uh, get ready to eat it. Okay. So I put it in, and now you, this is where, again, and, and at every pri- or every step of the way here, there's people who are going to say, no, that's not how you do it. This is how you do it. So we're just saying, of course. hey, <laughs> Coach, Reed, how, how, how do you do it? Or maybe what's your preferred method? So some people like, and I've done, them, I've done both ways, where you just let it go all the way through. You don't stop and wrap it. Um, or maybe you, know, maybe you, you wrap it up at the end or whatever. But, but how do you do yours? Are you going to stop it at a certain temperature, wrap it up, um, and, and then – Put it back on. What's your what's your process for that? So I kind of take a combination of processes into account. Um, I I kind of like to blend things. Like when I do my research, I see that and I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. Oh, that's a good idea. Well, I'll just put them both together. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you get your uh, you get your temperature guys who are heavy set on the scientific method of you know, it's got to be at this temperature. Then you got to get it to this temperature. And if you want to slice it, it's got to be at this temperature. And and I'm like, okay, look. <laughs> That's too, too much extra, all right? So I really like some philosophies here and some philosophies there, and I just kind of com- combine them. So when I got my brisket on and I'm looking, I like to wrap my brisket in either pink butcher paper or foil. Your foil, people will say, comes out a little bit more like a roast, and uh, your butcher paper say, hey, that's the way Franklin does it. That's the way I'm going to do it. And you take pink butcher paper and you wrap it. Most of my good ones have been with pink butcher paper, my last one, um, from the comments in the coach's office. They said it was my best one, and I actually Texas crushed it uh, and used the foil method uh, to wrap it. But when I wrap it is important as well. I like to look at temperature, and I like to look at the brisket. Uh, the internal temperature, uh, you kind of gauge the difference between your flat and your point. So you need to have two probes. Your point is your fatty side, uh, and so that one will be a certain temperature because it's so fatty, it's going to be a little bit less sometimes than your point. I try to try to marry it to where they're pretty decently close around anywhere from 160 to about 168 just depends on the thickness of your brisket and how big your brisket is your brisket's really big you're gonna have a little bit larger variance um or and so i try to get at least the fat side uh the fatty the point side uh up to about 160 to 165 now the point may end up being a little higher because it's thinner um and that's one tip uh, that I didn't speak about that I feel is very important uh, when you're choosing a brisket is try not to find the flat side, find a flat that's super thin. Um, that, that has happened to me before, and that flat side has dried out and been no good to eat uh, straight up. Now you can chop it up real fine, get a couple sharp knives and chop, 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 and make some good uh, chopped brisket, put a little barbecue sauce on it, and have a good chopped beef uh, sandwich. But at the end of the day, you got to find a thick, flat point on a brisket to find and that's that's really tough i'll say that's the toughest part about choosing a brisket is finding a brisket that's thick enough on the flat uh for me to be able to smoke so back to smoking uh, i'm going to take it out at about 165 roughly and uh, i'm either going to wrap it in pink butcher paper um and then uh depending on how i feel about how it looks if it looks good if it looks a little dry i might throw a stick of butter uh, a couple i'll slice it up and put it on some different parts and uh, and that'll give it some moisture. Um, I do also, one thing I do in my smoker is I put a water pan, um, uh, which helps with the moistness on the flat side. Uh, if you want a drier, more crusty, uh, sorry, not flat side, but 
the uh, non non fat side, uh, uh, fatty side of the brisket, the non fatty side. If you want to stay moist, you put yourself a water pan in the bottom, and when it reaches you know 225 and above, uh, you know you're going to get boiling water, which will help steam the brisket and keep it moist as well. Will that affect so, your bark? It it can. And, uh, and so, like I said, if you're looking for a drier brisket, you go without yeah. the water pan yeah. for a bark, or you can go with the water pan, which yeah. also plays a part in your smoke ring, which is kind of the Texas thing where everybody likes to look for, what yeah. kind of smoke ring you got. And uh, what that uh, moisture does is it allows the smoke ring to sink in a little farther uh, for your brisket. Some people say, no, it doesn't. Some people say it does. It just depends on who you're talking to at that, day, that point in time. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I like to use a water pan. Uh, for the moist purposes, especially for my flat side. So I'll have the water pan that'll take up about half my space and I'll place it underneath the uh, flat just so that that flat side can have uh, a little bit more moisture to help maintain that moisture on that thin side of the brisket. Um, so I'll take it out and then I'll put it back in uh, after I wrap it. I either wrap it in foil, I did it the last time, and uh, put the probe back in. And then I'm going to let the temperature rise from there. And then here's the kicker. So after all that, you're maintaining temperature. You could either do a really low and slow, which takes a long time, 225, 250. Uh, some people even go lower as like 180. Um, I did it on my red kick, but that's a pellet. So on my stick burner, I try to do uh, what they call the hot and fast method, a little combination of hot and fast and low and slow, uh, where my temperatures will be anywhere from uh, 275 to 300 on the hot side. And it just depends on how the fire is going and all that, which is hard on a stick burner. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, the hotter it is, you're going to get a good bark. And even if there's a water pan, you'll still get a decent bark out of it uh, at the end of the day. So um, when I raise the temperature up uh, with the probe, um, I'll kind of look at the temperature. When I start to get around 200, uh, I start to kind of mess with the probe. So my probe is actually my tester. When do I take it out? Does my probe smoothly come out? Or is that brisket yanking on it and so it's and that this is where you got to do a lot of briskets kind of get that feel for when is it ready and when is it not i i like a probe to smoothly come out and the ones that i know are really good it'll smoothly come out of the butcher paper and you'll see a little shoot out of juice that means man we ready to roll uh it's smooth like butter you'll hear that a lot from a lot of different people if you probe it and it comes out like butter it's time to take it out and let it rest okay all right so then uh, letting it rest, of course, is a huge step. Uh, how long do you let it rest? And do you put it like in a, uh, you know, do you cover beach towels? you put it in an ice chest? What, what, what do you, what, what, how do you let it rest? Yeah. Um, so I have a couple of old towels that we've had in the family for a long time, um, even from my throwing days up in college, uh, that we used to wrap our brisket in. So I'll take it out. I'll wrap it. And uh, I'll actually put a thermometer in it, from a probe in it from time to time to see uh, where it's at. So when I go to cut it, um, it's at a good temperature to cut at. Uh, and so you have many different methods out there. Some people say just put it on the counter. Um, a lot of times it just depends on when you want to eat it. Uh, one side note on it is if you put it in a cooler, sometimes it'll continue cooking wrapped up in your cooler. So you may end up with another dry end yeah. especially on the uh, flat end, and that's happened to me before. And, and I'll tell you, <laughs> all of this was just a big learning process. My wife will tell you, I basically made jerky the first time I made brisket. <laughs> <out of the house. laughs> and it was good and crusty. And I'll tell you, it tasted great. 
but it was really hard to chew. So, um, and that wasn't salvageable, or it was. I just kind of on it over the course of time. Uh, but uh, you take it out. I've let a brisket sit in a cooler for three hours. I've done an hour. Um, I would say typically I would go more than an hour in a cooler. Um, the last brisket I did, I, I just sat on the counter uh, for an hour, and I got it out. It was still steaming. It was still piping hot. I had it wrapped in a towel and foil. And uh, and if you do foil method, you're not going to get as good of a bark. You'll get a really moist brisket, um, but you can't get as good of a bark because you're tapping all the steam in. What uh, butcher pepper does is soaks up a little bit of the moisture, allows your brisket to dry out on the outside, but maintains moisture on the inside, and that's how you get that really good bark. That's why people love, and I do, still love the brisket uh, when you wrap it in pink butcher paper. So uh, let's sit for an hour on the counter, and then when you're ready to cut, now we got to get into cutting. Oh, so many different methods and ideas uh, come forth. The biggest one that I found that was easiest is you try to find uh, the where the flat meets the point. That's where you want to cut it off, and you can basically uh, you have to get. I would suggest buying a real sharp knife, and you don't have to go expensive. I I got onto my barbecue page and I said, all right, what knife should I buy? And I got you know about 180 responses. <laughs> Somewhat, um, or I've seen other people ask, and they've gotten you know over 180 to 200 responses. Buy this knife, buy this knife. I buy one from Walmart. I buy one from this place, and it costs me 30, you know, 200 dollars, you know. But it's the best knife I've ever owned. And I said, I understand that. But uh, I went to down to the local restaurant supply store and bought a carving knife or a slicing knife, a 10-inch slicing knife that was you know 12.99. <laughs> so. I just needed something that was real sharp that would cut into the meat. And if you probed it right and it froze like butter, it'll almost cut like butter. So uh, I'll slice it up there and you can slice it uh, short end uh, along your, or you'll slice it perpendicular to your long edges uh, down the middle. And then you'll slice that flat up. Uh, and that's your lean side. And then you take the fatty side and you'll slice it down the middle uh, going the other direction. Um, that way it cuts up right because when the flat meets the point, the grain of the meat changes. And, uh, at the end of the day, uh, and you're going to slice down the middle. So you're going to take it instead of after the flat, you're going to go perpendicular to your first slice and slice that one down the middle. And, um, you know, we've got brisket burnt ends you can have off of that one. Uh, you get those from the outside of the brisket from what I've found. You can make your own brisket burn in. You just top up the flat, and you can put it back in. You got sauces. You got to do all this other cool stuff to it um, at the end of the day. But um, and that's how you slice up the fat side. And you have that nice thick layer of fat in the middle, which looks gross, but it is the best thing ever on your brisket because it's what really kept your your uh, your point moist and um, and really helps out. And so all you do is you just you cut your brisket up, slice it up. So you always want to go ahead and slice everything before it's all said and done. Uh, so it's ready to eat by everybody that's it. Man, I, I just feel like uh, my 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 man points have gone up exponentially in the last uh, 45 minutes. How long we've been talking? We, we we were talking about D line play, and now we're talking about brisket. And and you know, I mean, it's uh, it's hard to imagine life getting better than this right here, Coach. All right, no, so so there's your whole process for brisket, um, guys. I hope you took notes on that. Um, let, let me ask you this. What's your favorite thing to smoke besides brisket? Oh, 
Oh, man. Well, my next favorite one has kind of taken storm, uh, the world by storm over the internet and social media, and it is smoke queso. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's one of my most favorite ones, and uh, there's many different recipes out there that work. You really almost can't go wrong as long as you have a few basic ingredients. Yeah. 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 I've, uh, we, we actually, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of resistant of, uh, to do the thing that everybody's doing. Um, but we, we, we did, we, we, we jumped on it uh, a couple weeks ago and man, it was, it was pretty legit. Um, okay. Oh, yeah. Let, let's, let's talk about this. We've covered some mistakes you see people make when, when, when growing or smoking. Um, let's, let me throw this scenario uh, at you. Okay. Uh, okay. It's a Saturday afternoon. Okay. Big time college football game coming on that night. You're having people over. What are you throwing on? I was going to say grill, but but I would, I'm just going to go ahead and say smoker. What are you throwing on the smoker to feed everybody who's coming over? What, what, what you got? All right, so uh, I'm going to have one. I'm going to buy a big brisket, probably anywhere from 17 to 19 pounds, and, uh, and that's going to go on the smoker uh, early that morning. Um, if I'm doing something like that, usually it's a Saturday, so I'm going to be able to field house uh, game planning for the next week. Uh, which means I'm probably going to use my pellet smoker. And the thing I like about my Rectech is it's Wi-Fi controlled. So I can always look at my phone almost anywhere I want, and I can tell what uh, temperature it is. Um, and then uh, I can turn it down, turn it up, be in the office. Hey, smokers, you know, doing good. Um, but I'm going to throw a brisket on. I'm going to buy a couple racks of ribs, and, uh, and I'm going to have some smoke queso ready to roll. Uh, when I come back home, and usually I like to watch like an LSU game on prime time, so it's 7 o'clock, and uh, hopefully people start showing up around 5 uh, to eat and uh, have a few beverages. So, um, and I'm going to do, probably get some beans going. Now, they're not home cooked, you know, it's either going to be some ranch styles or some uh, some sort of barbecue beans oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, I, that I'll buy. Um so I'm not, I haven't homemade beans yet. So I'll get to that point at one point in time. I, I'm just not a fan of having to soak yeah. them over. Wait till this spring. We'll, wait till this spring <laughs> when we're quarantined again. You'll get into some beans. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'll do that. Uh, I'll do, I've also done a pork butt here and there. If I have a lot of people, I'll do a brisket, a pork butt, and about three racks of ribs. Wow. And I, and I can get all those on my vertical smoker. Uh, so if I have time from the get-go, uh, so watch the temperature and make sure it's staying good. I could definitely do that on a Saturday if so, I didn't have to show up to the coaches' office. So if there's any kind of like get together with 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 the coaches, are you just sort of the designated cook, uh, like like guy who's going to be bringing the meat? Is that is that your role? Uh, well, I've kind of assumed the role over the course of time. I I just I like to. Uh, when people get together, you get together over food, and I think good food should be there. And good food for me is brisket. We have a lot of really talented coaches on our staff who are good at cooking various things, uh, things like gumbo, um, things like you know, ribs or fajitas. Um, so we got we got some coaches on staff that can really cook. And so whenever we show up, it's like, hey, you're going to do fajitas? Awesome. You know, you're going to do uh, your gumbo or your, um, you know, macaroni or you know, your special macaroni or yeah. you're going to do your banana pudding. Um so, you know, whatever it is, uh, we've had some really good coaches on. I think a lot of coaches are great cooks uh, because they understand that food brings families together and brings our coaching family together. And so I'll always say, if I can, I'll bring you the smoked queso. Um, like we had our uh, a get-together the other day, and our coach that was there, um, 
I've been a fan of his food and his cooking. So he cooked uh, fajitas, did a really good job. And I said, I'll bring smoked queso, not a problem. And I brought it to another get-together uh, before that, sometime during the summer. And it, it was a hit, and I improved upon it. And uh, and it was, it was a hit again. So I made two different versions then. We'll, we can get into that if you want. Well, I mean, you're talking about your smoked queso? Yeah. yeah you go and give us your versions of smoked queso yeah. real quick. Um, so one of the things I found, I've never, I'm not a fan uh, outside of smoked queso of eating like Gouda by itself. Um, I know a lot of people like eating Gouda cheese. Yeah, for me, the taste is just weird. The texture is a little weird. But I'll tell you what, though, in terms of melting it, it provides a big punch to your queso. And uh, if you can buy the smoked Gouda, it's already smoked. It really helps. Um, but cheese, for me, I, I see cheese as more of like a sponge. It'll soak up whatever you do, but you got to be careful with how long you cook it. Uh, through other attempts, it can come out real bitter because that smoke flavor just gets so ingrained, it's actually pretty bitter. So you got to work hard, take a couple taste tests along the way. Um, it might take you about 45 minutes to an hour to cook it, or it might take you 30 minutes. It depends on how much smoke flavor you really want your cheese to soak up. You know, you got people who cold smoke cheese all the time, and I'd like to use my Rectech to be able to do that eventually. And, uh, and smoke some cheeses on my own. I'm a big cheddar guy. But so when you get down to it, uh, the, I made two versions this past weekend, and I like to say they're both some of my better versions. Um, so I'll take some uh, taco meat for one, and I'll just make it like regular taco meat. I'll take a pound of taco meat. I'll take a block of Gouda. I'll take two blocks of cheddar, fresh slice it up. Uh, I mean, fresh shred it, and um, put that around the edges. In my uh, about an 11 by 13 inch pan, um, and I'll line the edges all the way up to the top of that, and then I'll put a basically a whole basket of pico de gallo from HEB in there. Um, I'll take a can of uh, chopped jalapenos, uh, some taco seasoning. Uh, we'll go around all of that, and um, and then I'll place. Uh, when I get the meat cooked, the meat goes in the middle, and um, and then I'll throw it onto the smoker. Uh, so that's the meat version I made uh, the other day. And, that, and for me, it's just real basic. It was Gouda. On some, I also used some jalapeno uh, or green chili. Um, what's it called? Jack. Monterey Jack cheese uh, as well. Mix that in there. So you get your white cheeses. You get your yellow cheeses. And your yellow cheese is what really provides that nacho, you know, kind of cheese look and uh, for dipping. And then, um, and then what I'll do is I'll take about a cup or probably about two cups of heavy whipping cream. Oh. And I'll pour that over everything, kind of let to where I can start to see it. And then I'll let that, uh, and I'll put it up and then I'll throw that onto the grill. And then early on, I'll just let it sit so everything can melt and uh on the side and then the second version i made was a meatless version this one had um a can of chopped jalapenos had a can of uh had some green peppers and onions um a, a box of that from h-e-b already pre-chopped i bought uh cilantro and um and then i added some a little bit of celery seed and uh some taco seasoning to that as well uh some more gouda some uh, mild ch- uh, shark cheddar, and if you're going to do your cheddars, I prefer use shark cheddar. It's more flavorful, and then um, 
and then I would do a couple slices of a small block of Velveeta that really helps with the creaminess. And I do a, a couple slices, about one small block of Velveeta in the big one that I put on the grill already, all the way around on the top so it just kind of melts in to everything. So I try to keep it as natural as possible because, you know, Velveeta, who knows what that's made of, but it's really good. <laughs> Exactly. Outstanding stuff, Coach. Uh, you know what? Maybe we can uh, we can I can make you down at Zomball sometime and and stop by your house and and uh, let you show me the show me the ropes there uh, on some some brisket and smoked queso. All right, we're going to close out our conversation today with our uh, with our rapid fire segment and and in these questions, which is fitting with this episode, we have some football mixed in with some with some food uh, some food. Uh, word choices for you as well. You ready to go? All right, let's get it. Okay, all right, here we go. Uh, first one: head up, nose, or shade? Uh, shade. Okay. Talking about grills here: gas or charcoal? Charcoal. Okay. All right. Uh, for you, as far as game day, game day responsibility: sideline or press box? Sideline. Okay. All right. Uh, speaking of game days, are you superstitious or not superstitious when it comes to game day? Um, I would say uh, pretty superstitious. Okay. <laughs> Give us an example of some superstitions you have, game day superstitions. Um, you know, like uh, what kind of socks did I wear? Um, am I wearing the same hat? Okay. Uh, all right. Did I, what did I have for lunch that day? What did I have for pregame meal? How much of it did I eat? Uh, those are some of the things I kind of think, what kind of gum am I chewing during the game? Wow. Um, it's a lot to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Now I know you're, uh, you're a thrower in, in college and you're a throws coach now. So, uh, tell me this, which do you prefer to coach shot or discus? Uh, I'd say both to be honest. Uh, I don't really have a, a, a preference, um, in terms of one comes with, uh, certain degrees of uh, things I like. Shot put, I like the, the grunt. I like the, you know, we're firing off, we're getting after it. And the discus, I kind of call it yoga. Explosive yoga is what I call yeah, it. So yeah. um, either one uh, is fine with me. If I, I've done shot put longer, so I guess I could say I uh, would prefer shot put a little bit more than discus. Okay. All right. All right. Let's talk about barbecue sauces. For you, your preference, sweet or savory barbecue sauce? Neither. Really, really. We're no. in Texas, man. If no. you got that barbecue sauce, uh, <laughs> come on, man. Now, hey, look, right. <laughs> hey, I, I, I can roll with you on the brisket. I mean, if it if it's if it's good, you shouldn't need barbecue sauce. But you know, we're talking. I'm talking like barbecue chicken or something. I'm definitely not yeah. a fan of the sweet, the thick sweet barbecue sauce stuff. Uh, get that yeah. crap out of here. Okay. Yeah, I'll tell you. Uh, I'll tell you the barbecue sauce I like is uh, Stubbs barbecue. Oh yeah. Makes a makes a slightly sweet but vinegary barbecue sauce. So that for me is a good blend of both flavors. Yep. And uh, so I'm a Stubbs barbecue original barbecue that's, sauce. That's that's what we have in our our refrigerator right now. All right, Coach. Absolutely. Uh, best barbecue side: beans or coleslaw? Uh, can I choose one? Not on the menu. <laughs> <laughs> okay, or a third option. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a potato salad guy. Oh, okay. Um, All right. I'm a, I'm a mayonnaise potato salad guy, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. I, I, I like that flavor uh, yeah. a little bit different. I like mustard potato salad, but I'm a mayonnaise potato salad with some bacon. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Game day, uh, pregame music or no music? 
Music all the way. All right, what's on Coach Reed's game day uh, playlist? And Coach Reed's game day playlist is full of uh, uh, Christian hip hop um, and some classic rock. Okay, all right, all right. Now, does your game day playlist does it sound any different from your grilling out playlist? Uh, you know, to be honest, I don't. I don't have a grilling out playlist. You know, I know a lot of people they listen to music. Um, if I have a grilling out playlist, it's probably going to be some old school rock and roll. Okay. Uh, you know, some um, ACDC, some Leonard Skinner. I got you. Uh, that 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 would be mine. Um, now, my wife also likes uh, uh, not who is it? Muffet? Muffet? Uh, who's the Hawaiian shirt guy? Uh, I'll listen uh, to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got me. You got uh, me on that one. Uh, I, I, Jimmy Buffett. Oh, Jimmy, yeah, Buffett. Jimmy Buffett. Yeah, 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 Jimmy Buffett. Yeah, okay, all right. All right. Uh, okay, what are you more excited about uh, getting started up, NFL or college football? Man, college football, and mostly because those kids, they need to play, and a lot of those kids are trying to go to school to improve their lives. And, uh, you know, and you got your seniors who are trying to work for possibly the next level. And getting that opportunity to play, I think it provides a lot of those kids some normalcy. Um, I've heard lots of coaches talk about, man, we got kids that don't want to go home during all this COVID stuff because it's a better atmosphere here and they're more supported here and it's more like family here. And um, so I'm more excited about college football getting underway than anything. I think it really benefits those kids uh, to be able to stay focused on what they are trying to do with their lives. Couldn't agree more, Coach. All right, last one. We'll get you out of here on this one. What are you more likely to watch when you have some spare time, ESPN or Food Network? That's a tough one. That's, I like a, I like a good old Bobby Flay episode. Uh, I kind of just hearing you talk. I I can kind of see you, yeah, being into some Bobby, Flay, maybe some beat Bobby Flay. Yeah, yeah, some beat. Yeah, can you beat Bobby Flay? Let, let me ask you this: if, if so, if you're doing. on if you're on beat Bobby Flay, what would your signature dish be? Man, if I'm on beat Bobby Flay, we gotta go brisket. I'm okay. see what you can do. Now, on, but Bobby but you Flay got like but you got but you got like thirty <laughs> minutes to you got thirty minutes. So how are you gonna do a thirty minute brisket, coach? Uh, I'll find a way. Okay. All right. <laughs> now, uh, I, I would probably do something like uh, smoke like queso. Did. Smoke queso. There you go. And smoke queso. Yeah, we're gonna say we got the best smoke queso. I like that idea. That's a good idea. Yeah. All right. Well, you can keep that in your pocket, and, and if and and maybe one day if you feel that you get a wild hair, you want to take on Bobby Flay, you can. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. Yeah. All right. Well, Coach, great stuff, and and uh, just just a lot of a lot of a lot of a uh, lot of fun talking with you. I want to wish you and. And the Cougars, the best of luck this season as you guys get ready to start your season here in a, in a little over a week. So thanks for stopping by and talking with us, Coach. We appreciate it. Yeah, Coach, I appreciate the time, man. It's uh, been a joy and a pleasure. And uh, uh, listening to your episodes, it's been, uh, been a blast. So uh, it's really an honor. Coach Reed dropping some knowledge on you today, both on the football and barbecue side of things. So I think it's safe to say that we all are better for hearing that. In fact, I, I can't actually can't believe I didn't bring this up to coach, but I have a, uh, a, a, a Wagyu brisket in my freezer right now that was given to my wife and me as a gift. And, and I'm, you know, kind of waiting on the right occasion to break that bad boy out because that's not something you just pull out on a Tuesday night. Right. Uh, but anyway, definitely be hitting coach up for some tips and advice when, when the time comes to, uh, to throw that dude on the smoker for sure. Anyway, Good luck to Coach Reed and the Cougars as they take on the Willis Wildcats this Friday night and kick off their season. Here's to a full and complete season for those guys, as well as for all our programs here in the state of Texas. 
you 5A and 6A guys who get started off this week. If you guys across the country as well, here's to hoping you can get your complete seasons in and have a great experience this football season. One thing is for sure, we're going to be here no matter what, so keep tuning back in every Monday for more great D-line content for you each week. If you want to follow Coach Reed on Twitter, you can do so at Coach S. Reed. That's R-E-I-D. Let him know you heard him here on KYPD. And if you run into him in the grocery store and he happens to be bending a brisket, hey, hey, be cool, man. Be cool. And just a reminder, we're going to be doing a series of episodes later this fall where we talk to coaches about periods of their lives where they endured struggles and trials and how those experiences shaped them uh, into the men and the coaches that they are today. And so if you have such a story that you'd be willing to share with our audience or know a coach who might, then DM us on Twitter at KYPD Podcast or send us an email. Uh, and that email address is kypdpodcast at gmail.com. Really looking forward to those episodes and appreciate your help in advance. Our quote of the day is this, fast, hard, finish together. And that's a wrap of this episode of KYPD. Hey, if you haven't already subscribed, go ahead and do that so you never miss an episode. And if you're liking what you're hearing on the podcast, then give us a five-star rating and leave us a review. It takes less time to do that than it does for a seventh grade nose guard to jump off sides. And it really helps spread the word about what we got going on here with the podcast. Until next time, have a great week. Love God, love others, eat brisket. And Coach Reed, what else you got for these guys? And hey, all you better remember, keep your pants down.